Ephesians 1 that Tanner read starts, in whom we have forgiveness through his blood. Aren't you glad for forgiveness? The price that was paid is overwhelming. But man, the love of God can change your life. And I hope it's changing your life right now. So let's pray. Father, this morning as we have sung all of these songs about the goodness and faithfulness that you've poured out on us. We know that even this past, this last song about the words that you say in our lives are better than the other words that get said in our lives. We just came through a week where many things were said about us and to us. Many messages were sent. Words we even said about ourselves. Sometimes we get lost and we get mixed up and we get confused. Maybe we think we're better off than we are. Maybe we think we're worse than we are. Father, as your people today, we come to hear your words for us. Because your words are right. Your words are true. Your words are better than ours. And so, Father, today, those words of grace and mercy and love that you pour out, I pray, Father, that we would hear them, that we would believe them, that they would drive our life this day and this week. Now, Father, as we open your word, you have challenges for us. Because while you give us this as a gift, you don't force us to take it. You invite us into it. There are things you need for us to do so that we are welcoming in these words, this work in our souls. And I pray, Father, that you would defeat the enemy who would come to snatch the seed away, but instead that you would let this truth dig roots down into the soil of our hearts and bear fruit in our life that is miraculous. Fruit of healing, fruit of hope, fruit of light, fruit, Father, of your love being poured out in the lives around us. Fruit of faith in a walk that trusts you, even in the uncertain and the unknown, even in the impossible and the not likely. Father, we trust that your power is enough and what we need this day. So we turn our hearts to you. Speak now and move in us, we pray. For it's in the name of our Savior we ask. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a seat this morning. What a wonderful thing to worship our wonderful Savior together, isn't it? I am so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for these opportunities we have together as a church family and uh, just never want to take them for granted. I know that it is fading into the distance now, but I remember a time uh, four years ago when we couldn't meet together and felt the empty of that. And uh, to feel the full of this, uh, I don't ever want to take it for granted. I want God to keep working in us and moving in us. And so, so grateful that you are here today and uh, for the work that I don't even know that God is doing in each of our souls. I trust him in that. I know God is doing a work in me. So grateful for that. Uh, a few things before we get into Hebrews 10 today. Uh, first of all, uh, we have at our connection corner back here, uh, opportunity for you if you are new and you've never checked in to let us know that you are here. So that's just through those doors. Uh, also, there will be small group folks there today. Uh, our small group team helping people people sign up. We've been talking about small groups this month. Uh, There is a QR code that you can scan, that you can fill out a form to let us know you're interested. I also want to mention, if you are 
in a small group, but you haven't let us know about it formally or officially, please check in with us. Not because we're trying to control everything, but we are trying to know where we are with this and who's meeting and what they're meeting with, whatever, so that we can be praying, so we can be partnering, but also so that we can have a sense of where we are uh, in our small groups here. So if you have a group that's got together, thank you for doing that. That's awesome. It's exactly what we want you to do. But do let us know about that. Uh, let John or Chick know about that after the service today. Uh, after this service, I mentioned before, there is a new to hope reception down the hall uh, where our elders and our staff would love to meet anyone who's been coming out over the past few months that hasn't had a chance to meet them, uh, but also for us to get a chance to put faces and names together. So just down this hall, we got uh, some snacks and some drinks. Grab your kids if you have them. If you don't, just head right there. But if you do, grab your kids and come join us for a few minutes. Stay as long as you can. Leave when you need to, but we would love to get a chance to meet you after the service in that new to hope reception. Uh, also this Wednesday night is a small group orientation. Uh, so during Wednesday night Bible study, we'll have orientation in that same room. If you're signing up and you want to be a part of small group. And that reminds me that sometimes I forget how many new people are coming out. So sometimes I just get lost in it. So we lose track of maybe some of the just basic fundamental function of our church. So I want to say, you may have noticed we don't pass an offering plate around. We have an offering slot in the back where, where our people give. Uh, we also, as a church, give online. So if hope is your church home, you should be giving faithfully and regularly, sacrificially to the work that God is doing here. I forget that because we almost never talk about giving, but uh, I also forget that people don't remember that you know we, we do that without passing a plate. So that's back there. But also, we have cards where you can let us know that you have a need, where you can ask us to pray. We have a prayer team that will pray for you, or you can volunteer to step into ministry. All those cards are back there. You can drop them in that same slot, and that will help us get you plugged in, uh, and as well as support you in whatever's going on in your life. So I wanted to mention that for, if you got questions about any of that, you're welcome to see me, or you're welcome to, st- to see anyone who is in our uh, New to Hope reception. They'll be able to help you uh, and, and show you the right way. All right, Hebrews chapter 10 is where we are today. And uh, today I called this Provoke Each Other. So I'm going to start by just asking, who likes to get provoked? Like, is it on your to-do list this week? I hope. Are you praying? Please, God, let someone provoke me this week. Not really a positive word, and yet it's something that we see in the scripture that we're supposed to do with one another. Seems to me that we have all been getting provoked over the past years, and not in a good way, right? We've been all getting stirred up. Today, the word that we look at translated provoked in the King James Version, in the NIV version we read, is called spurred on, to spur one another on. The emphasis of this word is a sharp and unwelcome stimulation, like being poked at by a spur or a weapon, or a sibling in the backseat of a car. Right? Provoke. That's like, when I think of provoke, my older sister is 14 months older than I am. My, my younger brother is 10 months younger than I am. So the three of us were born within a two-year span, and we traveled a lot in the backseat of the car. Now, today, everybody's strapped in, right? You got your own zone and all that stuff. Back then, there was a lot of free to roam, right? And we used it. We didn't have any screen to look at. We, you know, there wasn't any kind of like, you could hand them a tablet or something like that. No, we were just, we just looked at each other, Right? And so there was always the, there were always these fights about territory, backseat territory. I don't know if you ever had these fights, but we had these fights and there were a lot of imaginary lines drawn. Like you stay on that side. I'll stay on this side. 
right? And mom and dad, I don't know how they never heard us up there or they pretended they didn't or whatever, but there was always like this, like, that's my territory. Don't you come over here. And we were fight, we were provoking each other. Someone would like, you know, just quietly put their finger across the thing and, you know, provoke someone to a response and then get in trouble for, for yelling in the back seat or whatever. So with this image of provoke, why would the author of Hebrews tell us to provoke one another? To spur one another on. He uses the word spur in the NIV because it's taking that picture of poking at someone and the way that a spur pokes at a horse to tell the horse to go. Right? Spur one another on. Why would we use that? So I thought I would go into physics to start explaining this. Now, I know you didn't come for a science class, but that's okay. The, the first two laws of motion from Newton are pretty, pretty simple. So let's just do these first two laws, right? The first law is this. An object at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted on by an outside force. In other words, when I put my Bible down, it doesn't float away, right? Unless I pick it up, another force acts on it, it stays put. Pretty simple law, right? The second law of Newton's uh, motion, Newton's second law of motion is that when, when unbalanced forces are acting on an object, it accelerates in the direction of the greatest force. In other words, if you have a bunch of things pushing on something, unless they're perfectly balanced, that object will move. Unless there's some balancing force, that object will move. And it will move in the direction of its greatest force. So those two laws. Now, maybe that doesn't mean a lot to you, but as I think about provoked, I'm thinking about outside forces acting on us, Right? thinking about what happens here. And so when the, when Hebrews tells us to provoke one another, another way of saying it is that we are to push each other sharply. We are to draw an unavoidable response from one another. These are contact words. We are in contact with each other in a way that moves us. And what are we, what we're going to read today is how we're supposed to be moved from doing nothing to doing good. From being stationary spiritually to making progress and going forward spiritually. And just like that first law of motion where something's at rest tends to stay at rest unless something moves it, people who are stuck or not going anywhere spiritually tend to stay stuck unless an outside force comes and acts on them. So what is this outside force? Well, we're in church, so we say, Jesus, of course, right? But see, here in the context, what it is, is Jesus through the body of Christ. It is through contact with people who are following Jesus. People that you can trust. People that you've walked with and people that you know and who know you. So if you're stuck, if you're off track, if you're lost, you need God's people who are following God's plan around you in contact with you, not watching them from a safe distance or editing your story so everybody thinks you're something. People who you are in contact with. So if you're already in small group, if you're already in community, good, this is what we're supposed to be doing. And this is what's supposed to happen. If you're not, what we're saying is you're missing this. You're missing out on this. It doesn't happen by magic. It happens intentionally. Everyone here can choose to build the community that God talks about in Hebrews 10 here. And everyone here needs it. The second law is pretty familiar. It's pretty similar. It goes like this. Just like uh, an object won't move unless there's unbalanced forces, we need to make sure that we're taking a, a survey of all the forces in our lives that are acting on us. Do you feel forces pushing you spiritually during the week? 
Have you ever thought about where they're pushing you? What it says is this, if I want to go forward in a positive spiritual direction, if I want to go towards Jesus, I need to assess all the forces and make sure that the strongest force is the force that is pushing me in the direction of Jesus. Well, I don't know if I can control all the forces in my life. Well, I think you have a lot more say than you think you have. And I think we are called to make sure that what happens in our life happens with a domination of healthy pushes in our life. We've been talking the past month about community and church family. And I've been trying to show us that we need to choose community with Sunday gatherings, as well as other spiritually focused touch points on a regular basis. And that's why we keep talking about small group. These words that we read today tell us the impact that we should have on one another as brothers and sisters and what we're missing, the huge hole in our life that's there if we don't. So as I read these, we're going to look at four statements that start with let us, let us. And I want you to notice that it says let us because that doesn't say let you or let me. It says let us as in together. So start with me in verse 19 down to verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 10. It says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The first let us of this passage is let us draw near to God. Do you ever feel far from God? What's it feel like to be far away from God? Is that a great experience or is that empty? There's an ache, right? To be far away from God. Maybe today when I say, have you ever felt far from God? You you wouldn't call it that. But maybe you have a feeling inside you that something's unplugged. That you're lost. That you can't quite find your way. That you feel alone. You feel unimportant. You always feel like an outsider. You always feel like a reject. Maybe you call it a struggling with depression or despair. Maybe we put a a lot of other labels on it. But the idea is being near to God in his presence has a feeling. has Has a reality that shows up in our soul. And what Hebrews says is let us draw near. Let us get into God's presence. Let us come close to the creator of the universe. Maybe you take that for granted, but I don't think we should. And think about this. The book is called Hebrews. It's written to Jewish folks, right? So the whole part point of this passage comes on the heels of the first half of this chapter. And the first half of this chapter is the author of Hebrews saying, Jesus died and ended sacrifices. Right? In the Old Testament, when they got together for feast days or whatever, they had to offer up sacrifices so that they could be atoned for their sin because they had messed up. So they had to bring a lamb or they had to bring an animal or they had to bring a bird and they had to bring it to the, to the temple and offer it. It would seem that when the, the whole buildup to this is that we no longer need to bring those sacrifices, that the point would be so we don't need to gather together anymore. But that's exactly the opposite of what it says. 
The point is that in the Old Testament, yeah, they got together and they, they worshiped corporately. But now that Jesus has been the final sacrifice that we would expect, and what they're saying is, so without the sacrifice, without a need for sacrifice, we don't need to be together. But the passage says, no, get together more. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, generally speaking, they didn't gather on the Sabbath. They stayed home on the Sabbath. They gathered at feast days. Christians, right from the get, gathered more frequently than Jews in the Old Testament. They had to gather for sacrifices, and we don't need sacrifice anymore, but Christians started gathering daily, right away. And the description was, they drew near to God together. By implication, what it's saying is that we experience God's closeness And we are more equipped to draw near to him when we are joined with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Have you felt that? Is it easier to feel God at work in your soul or feel close to God when you come and worship together as a church? Right? It makes sense to our experience and our souls. And the author of Hebrews says that's what it should be. Because the basis of these things is faith. That Jesus died and God calls for that payment forever for our sin. And so in holding on to that truth about what God says about us, we do it better together. And the, the real cool part is this. Again, written to Hebrews, written to Jewish folks. Draw near to God is exactly opposite of what it felt like to know God in the Old Testament. Because coming to the tabernacle, coming into the presence of God was a fearful thing. When the priest went in to offer sacrifice on the day of atonement, they tied a rope around his foot. Because he could get killed if he went into God's presence unworthy. And somebody else couldn't go in and get him, so they had to drag him out. Like, this is a fearful thing in the Old Testament. The presence of God, right? The thought of entering the presence of Almighty God should be sobering. I think if we really knew what it was to enter the presence of God, humanly speaking, we would probably be shaking uncontrollably. But here in Hebrews, when we get together, what he says is one of the things that it does for us is that we draw near to God. And we draw near because of all the things he said, that we've been forgiven. Our hearts have been cleansed. We have been, the mercy and grace of God has been poured out on us. Bodies washed with pure water speaks about baptism, but probably more by the Holy Spirit than than the symbol of water, actual water. Thus, we are not outside a fence or a wall. There are no barriers between us and the holy of holies. We get to speak to God directly. Earlier in Hebrews is where it talks, we can go boldly into the throne room. What a privilege. And you know when I do that best? When we do it together. When you come with me and I come with you. That's a powerful truth. And it's, and it's a, a, another truth that we kind of forget. I know people who sometimes wonder about their salvation, wonder about the confidence. Am I really a Christian? Did I believe right or whatever? And it talks about we can enter with full assurance. And it says this. You know that you know God more assuredly when you live out your Christian life in community. 
You have plenty of evidence of your unworthiness and the accuser loves to use it. But we're told that when we come to God, when we come together, when we draw close to God together, we can come with assurance because there's a connection with our brothers and sisters. I am more assured of Christ's sacrifice. I am more assured of my participation in it when I'm with a church family. I'm more assured of my forgiveness. I'm more assured of my new life, my hope, my future. I'm more clear on the way to live and walk when I'm and more guided by the law of Christ when I am together. I have more opportunity to walk in the love of Christ, love one another as I have loved you when I'm together. So together, sometimes we take exactly the wrong prescription for what we feel. We feel down, we feel sour, we feel out of sorts. And so we back up from the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is actually the prescription for getting out of that. So it's almost like there's a spiritual force that is pulling you from what you need. I don't know if anybody can put a name to that, but there's a spiritual force that wants to stop you from the provision of God for your well-being. Let us draw near to God. Let's keep going. Verse 23. Another let us. It says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. I don't know if you have felt this recently, but I know you felt it in your life. Hope is hard to hold on to. It just is. On any given day or week, you may find it really difficult to be filled up with hope. You know what's possible and what's not. You know what's happened. You know what hasn't happened. Hope that you won't hurt forever. Hope that you can have a good future. Hope that you matter. Hope that your mess doesn't mean you're a mess. That God can do something with your mess. Life pulls at your hope all day long. Gives you lots of evidence that hope is foolish. It's easy to think no one appreciates you, that your efforts don't make any difference, that others will always get a better deal than you. There are moments in life that are so overwhelming that it can truly feel like it will never get better, that you're going to have to suffer for the rest of your life. Hope is hard. And to add to the hard, there are a lot of false hopes out there. Hope that you know, you're going to put your hope in something that seems like an answer and may actually make things seem better but it can't hold the weight for very long. People who lose hope in the family of God, in the together, in the work of God through his people, find a way to believe in a group of friends that don't draw them near to God. And then they feel, they feel like they belong, but they feel the, the loss of hope, real hope. Some put their hope in a job. Some put their hopes in their family or their kids. Some put their hope in their money. So almost impossible to list all the false hopes that there are, right? But when we are together, we are to hold unswervingly to the true and living hope. That means be unmovable. It's connected like a ship's anchor to, the, uh, to hold the boat against a current. And there is certainly a current that is trying to move us from true hope into false hope or no hope. What is that anchor? It is let us hold unswervingly to the hope, anchored firmly. How? My spiritual family. Your ability to hold on to hope is directly tied to the strength and health of your connection to your brothers and sisters in your church family. 
We know God's faithfulness because even when it hasn't happened in my life, the more I'm connected, the more I'm watching God work in other people's lives. And it reminds me of the times when he worked in my life and it helps me hold on to the promises that what we sang this morning is true. That if you said it, I'm going to believe it because you've proved true over and over and over again. I'm witnessing it over there and I know you're going to be true in in my life too. This is what community does for us. We can hold unswervingly to hope. But hope doesn't just hold us still or together just doesn't hold us still. It motivates us too. Verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So this idea of spur one another on is provoke. Let us consider how to spur one another on. What would be effective and helpful ways to spur each other forward spiritually? Is it what we're doing? Or should, what we're told here is to consider, to take some time and think, what would be better? How could I better, as a part of the family of God, help my brothers and sisters go forward in a good way? Is a challenge that we have to be close enough to people in order to do this. And it's messy when we're close to people. Being close to people requires that you grow spiritually as well as them. Because if you're close to people, like truly close to them, you're going to have to forgive them from time to time. And they're going to have to forgive you, right? You have to care about what's happening in their life. You have to exercise patience with them. You have to choose kindness and gentleness. It spurs us into living by the Spirit. We are to be spurred on, provoked to love. Again, we come back to this earmark of being a believer. But it only happens together. I can't love you like Jesus loved his disciples if I never am with you, right? Jesus wasn't like, I love my disciples, get out of my face. He was like, we're spending time together. Here we are. As a matter of fact, when he says that, he's sitting around a table with them for the whole night, talking, sharing, teaching. We went through that whole thing last year from John 13 to John 18. To love, spur one another to love and to do to good deeds. Probably refers to loving actions, but in a bigger way, to just doing what's right. I am more equipped and more ready to live rightly when I'm in community with my spiritual family. We're talking on Wednesday nights about getting unstuck. And this week, we're going to talk about, in the battle that we talked about last week, this week we're going to talk about bring a friend to the battle. Because you're better in battle with an army than by yourself. I know being a sniper thought to be really cool, but the reality is that every army that has ever existed understood this basic truth. You are better in battle with an army than you are alone. Right? It's one of the reasons that we did Fight Club and stuff like that. When you're in a battle, you need teammates. You need fellow soldiers, right? And so let us spur one another on to love and good deeds. Last one another is the thing that generally we got here on week four. Generally, when we talk about you should be a part, you should make uh, community a, a priority. 1025 is where people go. But here we are at the end of week four, but we're going to get to it. And it says this, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I would say, remember who this is written to as we read this. This is written to Jewish Christians who had a lot of motivation to not meet together in the name of Jesus. They could lose everything, including their life, 
to meet together in the name of Jesus. So we stop meeting together. We get, as, Paul, as, as the author Hebrews says here, we get in the habit of not meeting together for much lesser reasons than he's confronting here. We wind up not meeting together because we're tired. It's a rainy day. I don't feel like it. Somebody didn't say hi to me last week, right? Like much, much less than I could go there and die. Right? So Paul's saying to them, hey, don't make this mistake. Yeah, weigh the cost of showing up versus a church versus the benefits of not showing up the church. But make it come out on the side of show up, be there. They decided, and it says they made it a habit. They decided not showing up was better. And, they, and he says, make sure you show up. Don't let it become a habit of being absent. They are instructed to not give up meeting together, to forsake it. And the word forsake means to cast aside or treat it as something less important or valuable, to decide that it is optional instead of vital. And I would say, if I could define the doctrine of getting together with your church family, whether it's Sunday morning or Wednesday night or small group, it is that we have defined it as optional, a nice option if I have time, if I have energy, if I can make it happen. It's a nice optional thing, but we have not defined it as vital. And here it is defined as the very essence of what it means to walk as a believer. Because we together draw near to God. We together hold on to hope. We together provoke each other to progress in our spiritual life. But it doesn't happen the same way when we don't choose together. So I'm not in any way minimizing the showdowns that happen in life. But I am saying, do you realize what we lose when we give up meeting together? He says to encourage one another. Could anyone use encouragement in your life on a regular basis? Why? Because he says the end is coming and you feel the end coming, don't you? Whether it is the end of the world or your end, the end is coming and we need encouragement as the end comes. How? According to the passage here, it is because we gather together regularly. By God's teaching and by God's design, as the day approaches, we find ways to encourage each other. That needed refreshment in the discouraging process of growing, the fuel to step out in this world and live as salt and light. What it means is, if there's, a, if there's an encouragement deficit in your life, it may be directly connected to a community deficit in your life. We miss out on much of what God has given us when we choose to treat gathering together as a nice option instead of vital. So how close are you to God today? Do you feel close enough or do you need the power that comes through community? How strong is your grip on hope today? Do you need some people around that will help you hold on to it? Have you grown this past year in love and good deeds? Or maybe could it be something that maybe more connectedness could spur you on? It's why we say biblically, we need to consider how to make church and community a priority. The absence habit 
is explicitly disallowed by scripture. So gather, make this non-negotiable, step into community. However, that next step is for you. If you're one of those, I come every now and then to church. How about stepping into community? Come every week. If you have too much anxiety, when I talk about small group and you're like, oh, that just freaks me out. How about come to a next step of community? Come to a gathering like Wednesday night or one of our larger groups, men's breakfast or, or women of hope or something like come to an easy group to come to taking next step in community. I would say ultimately the best way we found to experience and the best way the church has found throughout the age is to get a community of people that you are intentional with in a small group. We have a bunch of them. We got room for more. Talk to our team after church and get connected. What does God want to do in our community through connection? He wants to help us draw near to him. He wants us to hold unswervingly to hope. He wants to help us spur one another on. He wants to encourage us as we see the end coming. I think God wants to do that right here. In our church, I think he wants to do all those things. Will we let him? Will we step in? Will we follow his lead? I pray that we will. Let's close this morning with a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, we thank you for this church, for every single person who is a part of it, for your work in our lives, for your work through this place. But we know you are not done. We know greater things are still coming. We know you are at work to bring more redemption and more healing and more hope. You are at work to save more people. You are at work to do more good in our lives. And much of that comes through us gathering together. So I pray, Father, you would help us, as the the words of Scripture said, let us consider that you would help us consider it, that you would guide our thoughts, that you would guide our intentions, that you would guide our decisions so that we would follow you faithfully in this matter. We ask it this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen.